Well, let me read something uh, Philip Harrelson wrote about apple trees. I'll just uh, read his words. He says, uh, recently, I ran across a study about the growth of apple trees. The study clearly gained my attention when the writer said the orchard owners will frequently wound the trees to produce more fruit. These owners will carefully prune the trees with what is called clean, fresh wounds. The owner is attempting in this process to limit the growth of the leaves and the wood in the tree. In fact, there are some who refer to this overall process as the dwarfing of a tree. In Maine and New Hampshire, the apple orchard owners give careful attention to the growth of the trees, and generally the trees which are the most productive are not the ones that are the most beautiful. Often the more fruit, the less wood and leaves a tree will demonstrate. Sometimes a tree will really take off and begin to grow tall, and outwardly will look very beautiful, but have no fruit. This is where the concerned owner will move out into the orchard and drop a huge wounding blow to the tree. The tree suddenly turns attention from growth to healing. In the efforts at healing, the truth turns its efforts from wood to fruit, bringing health and harvest. Now, these last few weeks, we have been looking at Ezra, who in Ezra 8.22 tells us, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. Ezra took a four-month journey from Babylon, from slavery, to the Promised Land to rebuild a city that had been destroyed. It's a whole story about God rebuilding broken things, fresh start, a new beginning, overcoming impossible odds. And part of that trip for Ezra, just like in the picture of the tree, is he had to go through some challenging growth times. He had to go through some wounds, and when those wounds were healed, he came out stronger on the other side, So he was strong enough to then become a leader in his country. Ezra's whole story is about new beginnings and growth personally and spiritually and doing it against great odds. I want to share share something that David wrote in Psalm 105. And David's writing about a really well-known person in the Old Testament that also went through a time of growth, change, and great challenges. And that person is Joseph. And we know the story of Joseph. He had a lot of just problems with his family. His brothers despised him. He was the father's favored son. He got all these favored gifts. But it caused a lot of dissent in the family. And Joseph caused some of that problem because he would even tell his brothers, one day you will bow before me. At one point, he even told his father, one day you will bow before me. Finally, the brothers sold him into slavery because they despised him so much. He eventually found himself in Egypt. And when in Egypt, he had all sorts of trouble in Egypt as well, before eventually he became the leader of that country and was able to save the better part of the world from that position because there was a mass famine that took place in a great part of the world. But this whole process from the outside, David writes about in Psalm 105. And David writes these words, Psalm 105, verse 17 and following. David says, God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold for a servant. Think about the words of David here. Think about the story of Joseph and then think about your life as well. God sent a man to Egypt. From the outside, it might look like chaos. 
It might look like things were out of control. It might look like all was lost. But David says this was all part of God's divine plan. God sent a man to Egypt. Why? Because again, he was going to rescue several countries, including Egypt, from a famine that would happen. And he would be elevated in position spiritually as well as in his position within the nation. Incredible, incredible thing to just think about for a moment. God sent a man to Egypt. He didn't just happen to be there by chance. It wasn't just bad fortune. It wasn't just poor circumstances. It was part of an unfolding plan. And in that plan, we're going to see that God is strengthening Joseph so he can become this world leader. Challenges in our life, God uses them. He uses the circumstances, at times brings us into the circumstance so he can grow us, strengthen us. Sometimes it comes from a wound, like the tree that grows stronger from that wound. Whatever it is, though, God's hand is there at all times in our life. Very interesting interview. Uh, Greg Laurie interviews a lot of people about their spiritual journey. And he was interviewing a particular contestant from the Survivor Show. This lady was a Christian. And there's been about 500 people's, people on Survivor. And of course, it's the game show. They put a few people on an island. They vote each other off the island. So to win, you have to play politics so you don't get voted out. And usually it means playing dirty politics. And he shares about this particular person. And he says, she'd gone on the show and been told she could bring five things to the island. She said she wanted to bring a Bible. They said, no, you can't bring a Bible. Somebody already did that. You've got to bring something different. So she went to the island without a Bible, with no Christian relationships, and watched what happened to her life. She fell right off the table. Her character began to change. The way she talked, the kind of words she said, the ugly words she used, the attitude she had towards others. The jealousy, the hatred, all of it immediately came into her life. She told me, I didn't realize how weak I really was. Sometimes in the circumstances, part of that growth process is for us to come to the end of ourself, to not depend on our own strength, to say in my own, I am weak, but in Christ, I am strong. Now, Joseph, back in Genesis 45, he is now the leader of Egypt, and his brothers are now before him. They don't know it's him. It's been 22 years, and they're there because there's a famine, and all they know is that the leader of Egypt is addressing them. They're greatly frightened, and in Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph said unto his brethren, come near me, I pray you. They came near. He said I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now imagine these brothers are there before him. They realize now it's him. He is the leader of Egypt. His words hold their destiny. And whatever he says next, they're probably very afraid. They betrayed him. And now he says, it's me, Joseph, your brother, you sold into slavery. But notice what Je Joseph says next. Be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Psalm 105, God sent a man. Joseph's own words, God did send me. 
Joseph recognized God's hand in the circumstances of his life. And he recognized there was a plan so that I could preserve life. He's going to rescue Egypt and other nations from this famine because of the position that he's in. When you look at your life, I look at my life and recognize the circumstances are there. God will use them, strengthen us, show himself in those circumstances. And as we come out stronger, then he entrusts us with more responsibility in his kingdom. Gene Scott, beautiful quote, remember God has the blood of his son invested in his church. He paid much too high a price, as the song says. That price was to purchase your life, my life, redeem us from sin. And because he has purchased us with his blood, the price is tremendous. So we know since the price paid was so tremendous, he wants to use us in his kingdom. So we need to then be faithful to that calling. One of the parts that's so important that carries us through those challenging times along with faith is passion. But let me share something. Uh, Rick Warren wrote this. He wrote this about passion. And he simply says this, in our culture, it's okay to be passionate about anything except your faith, except your relationship with God. I can go to a rock concert, a political rally, or a baseball game. I can shout my head off. I can get excited. I can get hoarse from yelling so loud. When my team loses, I can cry. Nobody thinks that's a big deal. When my team wins, I can jump up and dance around and wave my hands in the air. If I do that at a game, people say he's a real fan. If I do that in my faith, in my worship, in my church, people say he's a nutcase. Think about the difference of passion passion that drives us and moves us to try and to go further and farther. Something interesting, Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, well-known verse where the young man says to Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The message translates it, Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. All your passion. That word passion is the same word as heart. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your passion. If you have that passion and say, I'm so passionate about Christ, then you won't get discouraged when the challenges come. Rather, you'll recognize he's working in the circumstance. Trust him in the circumstance, as Ezra said, because God's good hand is upon us who seek him. That was the promise Ezra gave. We're going on a four-month journey from Babylon to Jerusalem, and God's good hand will be upon us because we seek him, and we see that process unfolding in Ezra's life. John Piper put it like this, The creative force behind all great art, all great drama, all great music, all great architecture, all great writing is passion. Nothing great is ever accomplished in life without passion. Nothing great is ever sustained in life without passion. Passion is what energizes life. Passion makes the impossible possible. Part of that passion is holding on to that energy even in the face of great odds. It's been said the majority is usually wrong. One of the things that we have in our faith is to say, because I love him with my heart, soul, mind, strength, all my passion then those 
times that things get difficult, we don't lose focus because there's that passion for Christ in our life. Great picture of a man who had tremendous passion is Ignaz Semmelweis, Vienna, 1800s. Ignaz, incredible story. He was a doctor and he recognized that after surgery, some doctors wouldn't wash their hands. They would go right to another surgery and they would continue that and an infection would spread from patient to patient. And he thought, I think you're spreading an infection because you don't wash your hands between surgeries. Nobody believed that, but Ignaz did. And so he opened a practice and they would wash their hands in between surgeries and there were no infections passing from patient to patient. He tried to publish this and tell other doctors this. He did this for years. There's germs on your hand. They spread when you don't wash your hand patient to patient. People said, no, we don't believe that. But he held on to that belief because he knew he was right. Now he paid for that belief. He was mocked. He was ostracized so badly he went into depression. Eventually they put him in a mental institute. But he held on because he knew he was right. We now know he was right. They knew he was right a few years after he died. Sometimes passion is what's going to sustain us when it seems like nobody else is going to be there in those difficult moments. But when you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, all your passion, then you say, you know what? I trust him. God sent a man to Egypt. God has sent me into some circumstances so that I come through those stronger than before. Next thing David says, Psalm 105, his feet, they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. That first part of the verse, David says that he was laid in iron. Some translations, it's not meant just he was in chains physically in a dungeon. It was something happening internally. Some translations translate it literally the iron entered his soul. He was in that prison till the iron entered his soul. What does that mean? He went through a refining process where he was no longer that arrogant person that said to people, one day you will bow to me. Rather, he became this person that was completely dependent upon God. That's why it says there was a time that that word came. He had a word. There was a time he would be released from that dungeon. That time was set. And we're told part of that process, first the iron had to enter his soul where he stopped depending on himself and he said, I trust fully in Christ. The next part, we're told then, the word of the Lord tried him in that dungeon. The word of God tried him in that dungeon. It tested him. He was being tested so he would be stronger. So when he was strong enough, he could become a leader a world leader that he was meant to be. Sometimes though, to get to that place, to get, get to that next level of growth, you have to do the uncommon. A great example of the uncommon is Zappos. Zappos, now part of Amazon, but mostly online sales of shoes, but Zappos did something other companies said was crazy. They would train people. Many people want to work for Zappos, so they get all these applications, all these new employees. They would have them there for a two-week training. At the, end of the, at the end of the two-week training, Zappos gives each person $2,000 to walk away. And most people give them back the $2,000 and take the job. 
Now, other companies say, that's crazy. You train people and pay them to leave? Why? Well, Zappos has an uncommon belief. How uncommon? Well, they're a billion-dollar company. A fraction of a percent of companies reach that level. 95% fail completely. A fraction of a percent become a billion-dollar company. Zappos did it because they do uncommon things. Uncommon things like give people money to walk away. Why do they do that? When somebody gives back that $2,000, they say, this is a person who really wants to be a part of our organization. It's not just about money for them but they did something uncommon to get to that level. We have to be ready to do the uncommon, not what the majority do, to trust him in that growth process. Fascinating story going back to the 1800s, a Persian general often written about, and he did something very interesting when there were spies that were captured in his country. He would have the spy brought before him and there'd be a firing squad, and he would say, I give you a choice. You can choose the firing squad or you can choose the black door over on the side. And asked about that, he said, by far, most people take the firing squad. He said that people prefer the known to the unknown. He was asked, well, what's on the other side of the black door? He said, the other side of the black door leads to freedom. Very few people, though, ever choose the door. They'd rather take the known than the unknown. Part of faith is saying, I'm ready to step into what I don't understand fully because I fully trust that Christ, a man sent to Egypt, is there to be my strength, my shield. Christ was sent to our Egypt. Egypt in scripture represents sin, a fallen world system. Joseph was sent to Egypt to rescue people out of Egypt, a metaphor for Christ himself who would come into Egypt, into your life, and my life, rescue us from sin so that we could be free as well. John Tetzola, wonderful quote. He says it like this, until the word of the Lord is tested, we are not ready for the throne. We must be tested to go to that next level. When you're tested, you become stronger in Christ. Then you can move to that position of royalty. Joseph was tested, rejected by family, he was lied about by Potiphar's wife. He was forgotten by the men in prison. He invested himself in helping. But we're told this, 105, Psalm 105, as we close, the king sent and loosed him and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance. He went from the dungeon to the throne, but he was ready for that throne because he went through that refining process. Until the word of the Lord is tested, we are not ready for the throne. Tim Ferriss, who writes books about goals and reaching those goals and pursuing an outcome to move to that next level, whether personally, spiritually, a relationship, financially, whatever it is, offers this piece of advice as we close. He simply says this, think about this with passion, think about this with the challenge, think about this with growth. Here's what he says, if you win the morning, you win the day. If you win the morning, you win the day. How do you win the morning? With that passion in Christ, he says, take 10 minutes a day, and for that first 10 minutes in the morning, pick three things you're grateful for. Could be something simple. You know, I like the weather today, God, thank you. Once you pick those three things you're thankful for, then you wait for a couple minutes till you really feel the emotion of what you're grateful for. So if you say, I really thank you for the love of my family, sit for two minutes till you feel that love. 
If you say, I'm grateful for my health, stop until you really feel that gratitude in your heart. Once you feel the emotion, once you've thought of three things, feel the emotion, then think about the goal you want to set and see it already completed in your mind. 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. If you win the morning, you win the day. When you do the uncommon, you get an uncommon outcome because we trust in God. He's got our heart. He's got our good. He's got our life in his hands because he purchased us with his blood. And he's looking for people that are not afraid to step through into that unknown because they trust he's got their life in his hands. Incredible story about somebody who did that. Agnes, a wealthy teacher in a wealthy neighborhood, nice car, nice home, driving home one day from her nice job. She stopped at a stop sign, heard some crying in an alley, got out of her car, found somebody sick and dying, put that person in their car, drove them to a hospital. At the hospital, they said, we don't treat people like her. She put that person in their car, drove to another hospital. They said, we don't treat people like her here. Tried again, realized nobody was going to help. Took that person home, realized they were not going to live through the night, gave them comfort and love and care, and that person died at her house. She changed her life after that. You may not know her as Agnes. We know her as Mother Teresa. She did the uncommon because she believed in God who sometimes brings us into the test to refine us, to put the iron in our soul so we don't trust in self, but say, I trust in him because he wants to expand who we are so we can be stronger, take more responsibility in his kingdom so that he receives more glory, honor, and praise. God sent a man into Egypt. He sent a man into our Egypt to rescue us so that we could then live a life of victory, victory in Jesus.